Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. All are welcome. Please join us in the Solder Smoke. Okay, guys, it's Monday, October 29th, 2012. This is Solder Smoke 147, the Hurricane Sandy edition. Yes, indeed, the uh, the storm is <laughs> probably now about 200 miles off the Virginia coast. We're feeling the effects. It's raining pretty heavily. No high winds yet, but they're coming. It's a real monster storm, I'm sure. Well, <laughs> lots of you are under it like we are, and uh, I'm sure people further away are, are following it. I know I know our, uh, our British cousins take a great interest in the weather. And this is some really interesting weather. So I posted yesterday on the blog the satellite image of... Um, Hurricane Sandy as it churns away out there in the in the Atlantic. It's a, it's a real monster storm. They're worried about it. They're worried about New York City and storm surge. It's coming at high tide, and it's colliding with a uh, a cold front coming in from the west, which could produce uh, heavy snows out there in the mountains out in West Virginia. Looks like it's um, going to pass over us today and tonight. Maybe linger around a little bit on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then head north up into to New York and, and Canada, New England. But uh, anyway, kids are off from school, and I got the day off from work, so here I am in the shack. So, well, it's not all bad. I got to look on the bright side, I guess. Uh, we're riding along in the car yesterday, and Maria said to me, hey, Dad, how come you haven't made a solder smoke in a while? And I said, you know, you're right. So here I am. Figured I'd take advantage of the storm, take advantage of the few remaining hours of electrical power here in northern Virginia, <laughs> and uh, and record uh, solder smoke 147. Yeah, it's 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 quite likely we're going to lose power here, and that's because of the trees. We uh, we have a lot of we live in an area with a lot of beautiful old trees, and nobody wants to cut them down. Nobody wants to spend the money to put the power lines under the street either. So uh, every time the wind blows, the trees fall down, knocks out the power, and we're in, uh, in into blackout conditions. We're getting used to it. And I've told you here on the podcast about my efforts to uh, come up with backup power systems. My uh, 1.2 kilowatt inverter is now the envy of the neighborhood, and I've uh, I've told neighbors that... Uh, I'm considering setting up my own small power utility with, uh, of course, really exorbitant rates. <laughs> I haven't gone so far as to buy a generator. Uh, but uh, a few more episodes like this one, and I'll be, I'll be in the market. So far, the inverter seems to do the trick. I just, uh, for the few hours in the evening that we need electrical power, I run the, uh, keep the car running out in the driveway. I have the inverter hooked up across the battery. Does a pretty good job. Keeps the lights on. Keeps the uh, the stereo going, so the kids can listen to some uh, some music. And I might even try to fire up the the television here. We'll see. As far as ham radio goes, I have my uh, trusty Heathkit HW8 on the workbench. The 12 volt gel cell is being trickle charged by the uh, the AC supply. I try to you normally try to be a, a solar power purist with the gel cell, but uh, old soul wasn't cooperating yesterday, so we're um, we're using uh, ordinary electricity to, to charge it up. 
and uh, I was tuning around and strong signals were coming in on uh, 40 meters CW so uh, when the power goes out I'll be in here uh, so, uh, battery powered and uh, we'll be on the air uh, using that the old internet you know the <laughs> HF uh, CW uh, pre-internet internet and uh, let's see I thought I'd talk to you a little bit about Einstein here this week. I, I finished reading uh, Walter Isaacson's uh, biography of Einstein. As I mentioned, it was a uh, really pleasing contrast with uh, the uh, the bio that he did on uh, on Steve Jobs. Nothing wrong with the bio. <laughs> Let me put this diplomatically. The thing I liked about this book, in contrast with the other, in contrast with the other ones, is that Einstein was a really nice guy, and he was a very pleasant person to read about. The more you read the book, the more you, the more you like the old fella. And uh, I, be, I have become uh, a real Einstein fan. You know, when you um, when you read about Einstein, what what you don't realize when you're reading little snippets is that you're just getting little bits and pieces of him at different stages of his life. And is, I mean, there's a lot of really consistent uh, thought and opinion um, throughout his life, but also his thoughts on things changed as as he went along, and uh, things that he said and believed in very uh, kind of fervently as a young man well he, you know he, he changed his mind on things as as as, as you should right and he uh, they, they noted in the book that he was particularly um comfortable with uh, changing his opinion because he was a scientist you know he would change his opinion on things and on on social issues or political issues he'd change them all of a sudden and people would question him how could you do that and he well he'd point to the fact that he was a scientist and that that's what they do in science, and if the old theory doesn't work, well, out it goes. Um, I also was interested in in how, especially early in his scientific career, um, being able to visualize what he was talking about was um, was very important to him, and how he, in the beginning, really didn't take a, a very mathematical approach to his physics. Um and relied much more on being able to visualize what he was talking about, especially when he was coming up with uh, special relativity and general relativity. Later on, he, he, he took a more mathematical approach, and he was much more mathematical in, um, in general relativity than he had been when working on special relativity. But um, uh, he uh, later on, and he, you know, he, he, of, course he, of course he didn't deny the usefulness of mathematics, but... Uh, uh, when he was searching for the unified field theory, he often seemed to be kind of lost in the mathematical wilderness and was exploring mathematical possibilities that seemed to have very little relationship or contact with uh, physical reality. The whole thing is very interesting. I really recommend it. I, I, um, I've, like I said, become more of an Einstein fan. There's a, uh, a big statue of... Uh, of Einstein, um, right near the, the, uh, the American National Academies of Science, which is across the street from where I work. And they, uh, it, it, there's a, sta a big bronze statue of Einstein there. Uh, and it, oh, years ago, it was really kind of overgrown. There you, there were, you could barely see it, but they've done a nice job of, uh, clearing the area out and Einstein's there in his kind of rumpled sweater and, uh, with a book and um, it's a real nice display so uh, when I finished Isaacson's book I took a walk over there at lunchtime and uh, 
sat there with Einstein for a bit. Uh, very nice. I um, one thing I also discovered in the book was that you know he was a very, of course, theoretical, very cerebral. Uh, physicist, but there was an element of the knack in Einstein. At one point early in his career, he uh, designed, I don't know if he actually built it, but he designed a kind of a voltmeter that would operate at extremely low voltage levels. And later on, he uh, developed plans for uh, a new kind of refrigerator. And uh, apparently that was, uh, that had a little bit of a success there. So uh, uh, Einstein was a uh, it may have been a bit of the knack there. Um, he, he was really it was it was really interesting to me when he about how he responded to the community in uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, when he moved to the United States during the 1930s, and uh, he really fit right in. He was uh, he, he he was really loved by the people in his neighborhood, in a way that you don't often hear that sort of international celebrities and superstars are. Let me give you an example. He, this, and this would be, I think, probably sadly impossible today, but um, little kids from the neighborhood would go over to his house, knock on the door, and ask him to help them with their arithmetic and mathematic homework. And he would do it. <laughs> Some of the neighbor, neighborhood kids would, would go over there and, uh, and ask Albert Einstein to help them with their, their algebra. And he would gladly do it. And they said he was always very friendly about it. Um, when um, people came around and, and uh, did Christmas caroling, he would grab his violin and go outside and, and, uh, and, and play along. Um, so um, a really, uh, and, and at work too, they said he was just... Uh, just beloved. He was the absent-minded professor, and I really got a chuckle about some of the uh, the, the problems that he got himself into. One story: he uh, uh, apparently soon after he moved to to Princeton, he would go out on long walks. He always liked to take long walks, and he'd be lost in thought, of course, as he went along. And um, so, uh, one afternoon at the uh, Princeton Institute for Advanced Studies. Uh, they got a phone call, and, and somebody said, uh, I, I need to uh, make a delivery. Uh, I need the, uh, the home address of, of Dr. Einstein, please. And the secretary, of course, thinking about security, said, I'm sorry, we just can't give out uh, Dr. Einstein's address. Uh, that, that, would be, that would be impossible. And then there was a pause in the line, and they, they said that the, the voice on the phone kind of lowered and said, this is Dr. Einstein. I, I have forgotten my address and I'm unable to find my house. Please, please tell me where I live. So there was that kind of, uh, kind of dreamy, um, absent-minded professor element there too. Anyway, three cheers for, uh, for Einstein and three cheers for Walter Isaacson for writing a great bio. Next, next up, Isaacson's bio of Ben Franklin. That's what I want to do next. Anyway, let's see what else is going on here. Oh, um, speaking of the universe and space, uh, I thought I'd give you an update on um, the rocket project. You know, we've completed the uh, the advanced model rocket. It's painted green. It looks really cool. 
um, and we're now looking for a field to launch it. Um, we wanted to get a, a camera for it, so we were kind of going around on the internet seeing what kind of camera we should use. And there's this little these, these little keychain cameras, um, and it looks like the um, the thing that comes with your car key to open up the the car hood and the door and all that. Um, it's that size, but it's actually um, a little camera that records amazingly good uh, audio and video. And um, we ordered one thinking that we would strap it on the side of the rocket. And I want to thank you guys because we were able to buy this camera completely with the uh, money that it comes to us because Solder Smoke listeners buy their stuff through Amazon.com after or via our site. So I've been encouraging folks to support the podcast and our <laughs> in our scientific efforts uh, by making your Amazon purchases uh, from starting from the Solder Smoke blog page. And enough of you have been doing it so that every month we get a little gift certificate from Amazon and we turn it back into uh, into items for the shack, things that we'll talk about here on the, on the podcast. And in this case, a little keychain camera. It's called an 808 camera. Guys, you got to check this out. I mean, they're like 12 bucks or 15 bucks. Um, amazing capability, amazingly good video, super lightweight. I mean, the size of like a little key fob. And you press the little button, the light flashes a couple times, and it's recording video. I think it'll record something like uh, 40 minutes of video. I think it's got something like a 4 gig or an 8 gig flash memory in there. It records audio. So we're going to take this thing and strap it to the side of this rocket and shoot it up to about 1,200 feet <laughs> and get some video on it. We also may get some uh, some of these little toy helicopters and do some video from the helicopters. But um, take a look at the 808 camera. I, uh, I shot a little video of the shack using this camera, and I put it up on the blog. So I think you would... Um, You'd enjoy uh, taking a look at taking a look at that. Uh, oh yeah, let me let me stop here before I forget. Thanks to everybody who sent me uh, good wishes on the uh, occasion of my completing 54 orbits of the Earth. Um, got a, got a lot of nice messages from from podcast listeners and uh, and people who go to the uh, the Solder Smoke uh, Facebook page. Thanks for, for everybody there. And I also this I thought was pretty cool. I got a gift certificate from the American Radio Relay League. Very good. And I bought a bought a really cool book that I'm going to talk to you about later on or perhaps in the next uh, podcast. But uh, thanks to the ARRL, the boys up there in Newington, Connecticut, for um, sending along the, uh, the, uh, the gift certificate. And thanks to everybody who sent uh, birthday wishes. Great. Um, you know, it's been a while since I, uh, I did the podcast as Maria reminded me, and I have an excuse. It's 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 really is a good excuse, and um, and that's because I've been melting a lot of solder, a lot of projects here, and uh, been happy to get back back into the uh, construction uh, angle, construction or reconstruction or or whatever you want to call it. But uh, a couple of things I've been working on. You know, uh, I have this uh, kind of um, Rube Goldberg 17 meter sideband station. That I've been telling you guys about, you know, it's got the uh, homebrew 
a transmitter made out there in the Azores. It's got a Ramsey kit external linear amplifier that takes me up to 10 watts. It's got the bare bones superhead receiver. Um, and I've been running the bare bones, uh, yeah, the Barba- bare bones Barbados Doug DeMaw W1FB single conversion superhead. I think I've talked about this enough. There's a picture of it on my qrz.com page. All kinds of information on on the uh, on my website uh, um, www.gadgeteer.us. Uh, check it out. Um, let me see here. Hold on a second. Checking the computer. All right. Um, okay. Uh, anyway, one of the problems I had was I noticed that the audio seemed kind of weird, kind of muffled. And I, I took a look at the schematic, and sure enough, it's got a little op amp at the uh, at the output, and uh, an op amp that that doesn't really like uh, low impedance audio loads. So I was running this thing directly into uh, eight ohm speaker, and of course, it wasn't working out too well. So I started wondering what I'm going to do about this, and I was looking for a simple solution. And I just started rummaging around the junk box, and I found the little Radio Shack um, AF transformer. And so I just stuck the transformer inside the uh, the box of the speaker I have here. I got, got a nice homebrew speaker cabinet some guy put together. I picked it up at a ham shack years ago. Very useful. Nice looking. It's got a wood box. And the guy obviously took some care in putting this together. And so I'm proud to have it here with the homebrew gear in the shack. A homebrew speaker cabinet with a homebrew station. And I just took that little audio amplifier and kind of gorilla taped it down to the inside of the box and inserted it in the audio line from the uh, from the receiver to the speaker and uh, the whole system is much happier so that was a very satisfying little little mod took me all of about two three minutes to do it and the uh, the 17 meter receiver now sounds uh, a lot better uh, uh, great great fun with that and 17 meters has been in good shape. I've been working working stations all over the place, and uh, and uh, and very 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 pleasing. Uh, another thing I've been working on, and this took a little bit longer, was that I uh, I dragged out. I was I've been getting uh, emails from from Eddie up in Canada, who's been working on uh, his version of the mate for the mighty midget receiver. This is probably a politically incorrect title but uh well we're we're dealing with an article from the uh i guess it's from the early 1960s lou mccoy design uh um another single conversion superhead receiver for 80 and 40 i uh, i think i've talked about this before <laughs> well i'm pretty sure i talked about it before uh uh and uh, it it's a uh, it's a receiver that I built years ago. It's been kicking around in the junk box. I haven't fired it up, I, but I pulled it out and got it going, and it sounds it sounds really good. And I, I want to do some more work on it. Um, in the course of taking it out of the um, Heathkit Benton Harbor lunchbox cabinet that I have it in, I uh, carelessly managed to smash one of the parts, one of the more difficult to get parts. And I kind of, I, I really, I cringed when I saw what I did. But there's a, a BFO in this receiver. And Lou McCoy designed it to be to use a coil. The, the BFO operates at around 455K 
kilohertz. And Lumicoy designed designed it to use uh, a kind of adjustable coil that was um, common in the TV sets of the time. So there are apparently a lot of these things floating around or floating around in surplus, World War II surplus supplies. But um, it's a little permeability tuned um, coil and uh, operates quite well with uh, some suitable caps to produce a BFO frequencies at uh, a BFO signal at 455 uh, kilohertz or thereabouts. And I, I found one at a, at a ham fest oh, 10 or 12 years ago and was quite pleased with my find. I remember I remembered how hard it was to find one. So when I managed to scrape, what I did is I, I kind of, I must have scraped it as I took it out of the, the cabinet and it, it busted four or five or six of the fine little wires in the, uh, in the coil. I briefly thought about trying to fix this thing, but I, uh, I knew that wouldn't really work out too well. It would probably be an exercise in work branch frustration. So I, then I, then I remembered that, um, some very kind hearted solder smoke listeners have been sending me parts and, uh, they're coming from Jim, AL7RV, and Michael, AA1TJ. And both of these guys have sent me very useful uh, collections of, of spare parts and junk box parts. You really can't call them junk box parts because the way these guys send them, they're so nicely organized and packaged. And uh, I reached into the, uh, to the boxes where I have these parts and I, I found them. I'm not sure whether they came from, from Jim or from Michael. But um, I, I credit both of them with sending me this uh, this component because it was exactly what I needed. This one really kind of kind of obscure bit of unobtainium was right there in the uh, in the in the junk box. I popped it into the receiver and the BFO came back to life. Uh, excellent. This receiver is a bit weird. Um, McCoy intended it to be used with a crystal filter and. Um, I could never get a crystal filter working at 455 KC. So instead of the, in the in place of the crystal filter, I just put another 455 KC IF transformer. So now there's two of them in there, and those are the only elements of the receiver providing selectivity. So it's really broad, which makes it good for for AM. But uh, I'm thinking the whole thing might work a little bit better with a proper filter in there. And I I have. After building it, I subsequently came across a 455KC filter, and I have one now in the junk box, so one of these days I might pop it in there. But I'm, I'm fearful that I might make it a little bit too narrow to avoid the, uh, the pleasing AM audio. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I thought, oh, wow, it's just, you know, two 455KC IF transformers and no crystal filters. But then... I heard a little voice in the back of my head saying, wait a second, there, you know, good work can be done with these kind of transformers, and you don't necessarily need crystals to, uh, to get good selectivity. And I looked over at my Drake 2B, and I realized no crystal filters in that thing. Of course, they use um, a triple conversion on the, uh, the Drake 2B, and I think the, uh, the final IF is way down there at, uh, at 50 kilohertz. 
but uh, but still it's a reminder that uh, that great things can be done without the benefit of, of crystal filters so uh, stay tuned and I'll let you know what happens I, I've got a bit of trouble getting the um, the BFO in the right spot um, I don't know if I've done it right but uh, I try to position the BFO um, relative to the really broad passband of the uh, resulting from the two IF uh, cans and uh, I have to be careful because if I put the uh, the BFO signal into the passband it seems to kind of desense the whole receiver so I've got to keep it just off to the side but it's made tuning a bit difficult the tuning of the SSB signals is uh, more difficult than I remember um, this receiver I used to use it all the time on uh, on 40 and, and, and 75 meter AM. I had it paired up with a DX60 uh, and had great fun with it when we were living here in Virginia before. But uh, but stay tuned. I'll, I'll be working on that. Then my other um, bout of solder melting was sort of a follow-up project from this summer. I had intended to bring to the Dominican Republic with us the, um, the uh, little 20 meter a double sideband transceiver that I built out in the Azores um, and uh, you've seen pictures of this anybody who's visited the blog has seen pictures of this thing I think I have pictures of it in the book also um, just a little um, direct conversion a transceiver the receiver is built around any 602 uh, chips I use them both for um, I've used them for the, the front-end RF amp. I use them for the mixer. I even use them for the first uh, AF amplifier. I think the final AF amplifier is an LM386. But the, the receiver, the direct conversion receiver, has always been real nice. The, the VFO is kind of unusual because I use ceramic oscillators at 455kc. No, what am I saying? Not at 455kc. At the operating frequency, right at... Uh, at around 14.2 megahertz, <clears throat> I use two ceramic resonators, and um, I'm able to get. I'm able to tune. Let me see here. The, I can tune from 14.266 all the way up to uh, 14.322, which is not not too shabby uh, using ceramic resonators. And my problem with this rig had been in the final amplifier. I never really had a stable uh, amplifier. So I just decided to J-Bot it. I have the uh, the J-Bot amplifier in there. It seems to be working pretty well. The problem that remains, though, is this. And I uh, I ask for some advice and help on how to how to deal with this problem. The um, uh, the the J-Bot amplifier is designed for an input of about one milliwatt. One milliwatt in will produce about five watts out which is pretty good and the JBot amplifier has performed brilliantly in all the other rigs that I've placed it in and this is my fourth JBot amplifier the problem though with this rig is that the um, the balanced modulator in this transceiver is also an NE602 chip and um, Wes Haywood reminded us a while back about how much output we can expect from the NE602 and it's really quite low I'm, I'm measuring only about one-tenth uh, of a milliwatt out, coming out of this uh, this this uh, this chip which is 
you know, quite a bit less than than what what's recommended for the input for for the JBot. And I'm I'm only getting about one or two watts out. Um, so I, I don't know my my ability to measure power at this low level is uh, is limited, but clearly I'm not getting enough power out of the NE602 to properly drive the JBot amplifier. I thought about building another little amplifier stage there, and I, I did kind of quickly throw together some kind of FET-based amplifiers, thinking that I could get, I don't know, um, 3 to 10 dB before going into the uh, uh, the input of the JBot, but things got unstable real fast, so I, I retreated. But um, anyway, I'd, I'd appreciate your thoughts on, on how to deal with this problem. And I know that, I mean, I think I'm getting like a couple watts out. And I know the difference between 2 watts and 5 watts is barely noticeable. But since I went to the trouble of building the JBot, I some, somehow would like to, get, like to be able to get the full 5 watts out of the thing. So uh, send me your ideas on how to, how to deal, deal with this. Um, let's see what else I've been working on here. Um, I'm putting together an order for Dan's small parts, but I'm dragging my feet here too long, guys. And I realize that uh, Dan, um, when the winter comes to uh, to the Dakotas, apparently gets out of there and uh, and heads south. So I need to get my uh, my order into Dan. And if any of you are thinking about sending him an order, I recommend you do it before winter sets in because Dan. In, in the past, I don't know if he's intending to do it this year. I guess he does. He, I hope, I think he is, but uh, he frequently shuts down in winter time and heads elsewhere. So uh, get those orders in. Um, let's see what else I was going to talk about. Oh, hex beams. I've got. The, I've been picking up a lot of hex beam buzz. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, every time I get on the air, I, I hear somebody telling me they're using a hex beam, and it seems it sounds really great. I think I've got room up on the uh, on the roof to swing a hex beam around. So um, I'm I'm feeling the urge for some directivity here, you know, guys. I, I out in the Azores, I had a uh, <laughs> what I jokingly referred to as a one-element beam. I had a rotatable dipole for 17 meters, and it was fantastic. I, I even though it really didn't make a huge difference, I love the be the feeling of sitting there in the shack and turning that. Uh, rotor control and knowing that up on the roof that thing was swinging around in the night aiming my RF to other parts of the of the planet so um, hex beams they look great they look terrific they look easy to build I'm a little bit disturbed that when you go out and look for like the kits or the commercial products they all seem to start at five or six hundred dollars <laughs> I've never spent <laughs> I've never spent more than 20 bucks on an antenna in my life so um, I can't imagine spending five or six hundred bucks on this thing, but they, they do seem to be kind of a handyman special. And they seem to be the kind of things that you that that uh, a bit of PVC pipe, some wire, some rope, bit of wood for the center. I don't know. It seems like you could put one of these things together fairly easily, and uh, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling the urge for hex beams. Of course, I'm starting to feel this urge as winter approaches, <laughs> because you know, as they say, if the antenna doesn't go up on a bitterly cold day, you won't get the proper uh, proper gain. But uh, 
<laughs> I'll, I'll let you know about how I deal with these uh, hex beam urges. All right, yeah. So other odds and ends here. Um, you know, one of the things I did, and I've been meaning to do it for a while, it's a simple little thing, but uh, I finally got around to do it because they were talking about this on uh, QRPL or one of the other um, uh, in email groups. I, I have this uh, old frequency counter that I picked up in the UK. You guys will recall, this is the, the counter in which I installed pretty much upside down and backwards the, uh, the essential 16-pin IC chip. I think... Uh, Tony Fishpool had sent me the chip, and I rather carelessly went in there and just, uh, <laughs> it was one of these chips where you had to solder it on both sides of the board, so I put it in incorrectly and then proceeded to solder it in very, very well on the bottom side of the board and then on the top side of the board. It was quite spectacular. Then I had to extract it, flip it over, clean it off, put it back in anyway, this uh, adversity, this, this sad history has created a kind of odd bond with this uh, test gear that I have. And I, I like the frequency counter right now. One of my problems with it, and this is a, a problem common to many uh, frequency counters, is that it requires a fairly high signal level to trigger and to measure the frequency. But uh, the geniuses out there in, in Beaverton, Oregon, the, uh, the wizards of Tektronics, uh, came up with a solution, and that is they have a, on the back of the Tech 465 oscilloscope, bow your heads in in reverence when mention is made of this piece of test equipment, the Tech 465 oscilloscope. On the back, there's a little BNC uh, connector to which you can connect your frequency counter. And there, when you when you put your oscilloscope probe into the circuit, not only do you get the uh, the beautiful display on the CRT uh, screen of the scope, but through a bit of amplification, the your frequency counter provides a numerical readout of the frequency of the signal. Really cool, and I think it uh, it does provide some amplification. I was fooling around with it a little today, and I think I can see signals down at levels lower than before. In any case, I just think it's neat to be able to get the uh, the frequency readout at the same time. The signal appears on the scope screen. So three cheers for Tektronics. All right. Um, books. I want to mention a book. You know, usually the only book I mention is <laughs> my book. <laughs> but but let's be fair. There are other books out there. And I have mentioned the Einstein book and the Steve Jobs book. But here is one by a fellow radio amateur that I picked up. And I used my ARRL birthday certificate to get this book, and I'm really glad I did. At first I had my doubts, but now I have no doubts at all. It's called um, Instruments of Amplification, Fun with Homemade Tubes, Transistors, and More, written and illustrated by H.P. Friedrichs. I got it via the ARRL. It's got an ISBN number on the back. And I must say, I, I really like this book. I like his approach. I like he's got a great technical writing style. His illustrations are really fantastic, far, far, far better than what I have in my book. And he's got H.P. Friedrichs has an amazing way. He's got a real knack for providing uh, technical 
discussions of how things really work. Uh, I was blown away by his uh, description of um, what is an amplifier. And he goes through and provides several examples of things that in, <clears throat> in everyday life that might seem to be an amplifier, but that are not. For example, he talks about a lever, and he talks about uh, a megaphone, and a few other things. And he goes through a quiz, and he says, are any of these things amplifiers? And of course, they're not. But then he provides something that, that seems like it should not be an amplifier, but it is, and he describes uh, a relay, just an ordinary relay, like little ones that are clicking away inside my Heathkit HW8. And uh, he points out that these things can be considered uh, an amplifier because you, ha you can have a small signal controlling a larger signal. And uh, so there it is. And the other thing, this made me think, you know, that the whole term relay, why do we call these little magnetically controlled switches relays well it, it may be and I, I think this I think this is what I get from uh, HP Friedrich's book and I think his call is AC7ZL I think that sounds right Alpha Charlie 7 Zulu Lima um, because he, he is one of us he is a radio amateur I'm proud to say anyway uh, the relays um, he describes in the book how this these devices were originally uh, produced so that telegraph signals could be sent uh, beyond the range of uh, the voltage in the wire. After a while, the resistance in the wire would, uh, in, in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in the cable, would uh, diminish to the point where it couldn't be read, so then they would have to put a little relay device in there that would, in, in essence, boost the signal and send it along. So the original amplifiers were nothing more than, than relays. And if you're dealing with CW, you could see how that would work. Uh, CW especially on wire. Then he does something that I thought was really cool, and I had heard about this and I had never really understood it. Um, he talks about um, he talks about amplifying relays and how to produce um, transformers, a needle box transformer, but let's see, what was it? The microphonic relay, chapter 5. This was really cool. And what he does is he takes uh, the carbon microphone from a telephone, an old telephone, and I'm sure that, uh, like me, many of you are guilty of uh, taking these microphones and perhaps the, the earpiece also <laughs> out of um, telephones belonging to the Bell Telephone System. I believe the statute of limitations may have uh, expired, so, um, and <laughs> I hope I may have done this myself. But anyway, um, what he does is he, he takes the, uh, the microphone, hooks it up to the earpiece, takes the earpiece, hooks it up. Let's see, how does this work? Let me see, how do you do this? It was awful simple. I should remember this here. He's got a nice little diagram here. Okay, you got the output of a crystal radio. Uh, just a diode, one little LC circuit, a big long antenna wire. And he's got the, I, the output going, driving the coil on the earpiece. All right, so, and he's got the, uh, the earpiece there, fine. 
And then he, but what the, the neat thing that he does is he takes the microphone, the carbon mic, and basically tapes it right up against the earpiece. He puts a couple little D batteries in there and has another set of headphones that are connected in series with the, uh, the carbon mic and the two batteries. So you have the, the very minute audio output from the earpiece coming from the crystal radio driving what is, in essence, a little carbon amplifier and uh, powered by two, uh, two batteries there. And it, it really significantly increases the audio output from the crystal radio. Of course, it's no longer a crystal radio, really, in the, in the purest sense, because it's got a power source involved, and you're no longer dependent completely on the, the power coming from the, uh, the radio wave. But still, I think it's pretty neat. And I, somebody was telling me about this, that they a while back we were talking about crystal radios with somebody. I was talking to them on the air. And they described something involving a carbon mic. And I didn't quite understand what he meant, but now I can see it. Uh, you'll find all kinds of stuff like this in, um, in, the, in the book Instruments of Amplification. It also begins with a, what I think is a really very sensible and very um, kind of... Uh, thought-provoking chapter on safety. I mean, normally I skip over these safety things, you know. <laughs> they seem to be kind of nanny state-ish and, you know, we'll be careful and all that. But in this book, the discussion of safety and what to do to protect yourself from the hazards of the Radio Shack are, um, I think, quite sensible. and It has made me think about things and uh, do things a little bit different so that when you guys get this book, don't just skip over that chapter. Read it, and uh, read it and heed it, as they say. Um, I'm enjoying the book, and I, I think you guys will like it, too. It's available from Amazon. It's also, I think, available from the ARRL. So uh, check it out. He's got another book, too, that I plan to get. It's called The Voice of the Crystal, and that's more focused on, uh, on, on crystal radios, which, of course, I, I love, too. So um, anyway, three cheers for... Uh, for H.P. Friedrichs and uh, his book, Instruments of Amplification, Fun with Homemade Tubes, Transistors, and More. All right, let's see. What else we have here I wanted to talk about? Um, ah, yeah, it's talking about instruments of amplifications. I, I, I seem to be kind of in a boat anchors uh, period here, uh, tube-type radios. I, I picked up at the, um, gosh, it was a long time ago, in February, I picked up the uh, at at the um, Vienna Wireless Society's Hamfest a Halicrafter's S38E receiver. Uh, I got it for ten bucks, and the guy quite honestly said, "I don't know if it works." I uh, I turned it on, and, and of course, a really bad AC hum comes out of the thing, indicating that the uh, electrolytics are in bad shape. I I tried to bring it up on a um, Nothing popped. There were no explosions. Um, I tried to reform the the electrolytics by bringing the receiver up on a uh, on um, an auto transformer on a variac, but uh, <clears throat> it doesn't seem to be doing much good. So I have a feeling I'm going to have to recap the thing. I have a large um, metal can uh, electrolytic capacitor with four capacitors in it, 25. Um, 25, 25, 25 microfarads, 25 microfarads, 40 and 40. Yeah, I think uh, I think they'll do it. Um, 
we'll see. Um, anyway, that's going to be one of my projects. But my other concern is that this is my first transformerless radio or transformerless receiver. There's no there's no power transformer in there. It works directly off the uh, the line voltage, and they just rectify it and go it in go in there. And I understand vaguely that there are some safety concerns about this. I remember guys used to run isolation transformers in there to um, to increase the safety of it. So uh, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think about this a little bit and think about how to approach it. I'm gonna recap it. I'm gonna get it going. It's got a kind of a nice face on it. You know, it's got the dial with all the cities of the world. Um, you know, Moscow, Beijing. It's got all these. I think probably Peking at the time. Uh, but uh, but really good stuff. Stand by. The phone is ring in. Hold on. Okay, so if any of you guys have any advice on how to uh, prevent myself from uh, electrocuting myself with a Helicraptor's S38E transformerless wonder, uh, let me know. I know I've got it in here. I know what you're supposed to do, and there's a way you're supposed to modify it, and but I just don't really remember at this point. So if anybody does, uh, shoot me an email, and I'll, uh, I'll make this a safe receiver. Um, speaking of old boat anchors, the, uh, the receiver that I'm using on 40 and 75 meter AM with the DX100 is a beloved Hammerland HQ100. The HQ100 really was the kind of bottom line, <laughs> bottom of the line, uh, low cost Hammerland receiver. It's got the, the really cool looking kind of front. I like it's got like two eyes there. It's got one, one dial, which is the main tuning dial, and then right next to it, it's got the band spread dial. Both of them illuminated with little bulbs behind them. Looks like two eyes looking out of the uh, the radio ether at you. Um, a very solidly built receiver, broad as a barn door. No uh, no crystal filters in this one either. Uh, good shortwave listening receiver, and also I, I'm finding pretty good for AM work on 75 and 40. It's got a Q multiplier in there. I don't uh, I don't multiply Q very often. It, it's uh, for me unpleasantly um, similar to turning the receiver into a, a regen. And you know how I feel about that. But um, the thing you could do with the Q multiplier is if you turn the regeneration all the way up and adjust the frequency, it in effect becomes a BFO and you could listen to sideband and CW signals with the uh, HQ100. Now, uh, I picked up this HQ100 in the Dominican Republic many years ago, and like many of the rigs that I picked up in that country, it had been uh, it had it had lived a difficult life. <laughs> um, the, the Dominican Republic and the Caribbean in general is not an environment uh, that's really uh, very very good for electronic equipment. I mean, it, high humidity all the time. Um, lightning strikes all year long, uh, power surges like you, like you, you wouldn't believe. Um, and in short, radios there, even old tube type radios, get beat up quite a bit. And this one was quite a bit beat up when I got it, but I, uh, I fixed it. I got it going, and uh, so that again that creates kind of a bond with the device, and I have a bond with this one. I like it. Um, one of the things I did not like about it is it had this old, junky, mechanical kind of wind-up clock in the upper left hand. If you, you guys have seen these, these Hammerland, um, Hammerland receivers, 
And a lot of them have this, what they call it, I think they call it a tech chronograph or something like that. Let me get the manual here. Hold on. Reaching down here, I got my HQ100 communications receiver manual. And it says here, uh, it's got all the different uh, options on it. I, think I want to get to the point where number 16 on the dial is uh, the Telecron automatic clock timer. I'll read you what they say about this thing. Telecron automatic timer. If your receiver is equipped with the built-in Telecron automatic clock timer, the following instructions should be noted. Every radio frequency device is stable only at a predetermined operating temperature. In order to eliminate waiting for, for the for receiver to warm up to operating temperature, the Telecron timer automatically turns on the receiver in head, ahead of anticipated operating time. Kadzooks! This is accomplished by setting the hand of the timer, a small knob at the rear of the receiver, to approximately one half hour before operating hour. The front panel function switch is set to receive. The receiver is then automatically turned on at the desired time. Shazam! <laughs> it says, but then I, okay, I, I didn't like this thing. When I got it, it was really beat up and kind of rusty, so I just yanked it out and replaced it with a, a piece of aluminum panel. It looks pretty good, but I've had people criticize me over the years saying, oh man, you mangled that receiver. You should have kept the clock in there. But no, listen to this. If your receiver is not equipped with the Telecron automatic clock timer and you would care to have the accessory added, clock kits with full installation instructions may be had by writing to the Hammerlin Manufacturing Company, 460 West 34th Street, New York, 1 New York. Order clock kit or by contacting the nearest Hammerlin dealer. Well, you can you imagine that thing? They, they, they were building these things in New York City on, on West 34th Street. Oh, wow. All right. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, I, uh, I now feel better about my uh, HQ100 minus the clock. All right, guys. Time for... Okay, I thought I'd give you a little band sweep this week. I've got the DC... Direct conversion receiver that I've been telling you about. 20 meters seems to be going pretty good. Hurricane Sandy's really kicking in now. But so far we still have power. So let's listen to a little bit of a 20 meters direct conversion. An Americhound amplifier running about 900 watts into a ground-mounted vertical. A Hustler 5BTV, a Hustler trap vertical on the ground is what I'm using for an antenna. And I live in a very small town called Keysport, Illinois. And Keysport has a population of only 461, a very small town in the country. And I'm located on a uh, large man-made lake here that covers 84 miles of shoreline and 26,000 acres of water. It's one of the largest man-made lakes in the country here. So I'm right on the water, and I think it's, uh, it, w it works with the uh, vertical quite well. Okay, one IWS, KB9WLF. KB9WLF, okay, one interleave, SQ Sugar. Dear Carl, thank you for all the information. Yes, and Carl, I'm very interested on the QSI collecting cards for my uh, US County Award. 
If you can please be ca so kind, send me a QS for my award. Weather today, we have a, in this time we have about uh, two degrees below zero. Two degrees below zero and a little snow on the ground, we have a little snow. And about uh, uh, two degrees below zero cal. KB9 Whiskey Lima Fox, okay, one Italy Whiskey Sugar. Okay, five minutes, Wolf. Is uh, the bureau okay for QSF? And uh, good luck up there. And uh, I'm going to assume your your generator will start okay, <clears throat> and you'll be fine. You'll be <laughs> you'll be in Fat City. You'll probably want to invite all the neighbors over for free booze and maybe sandwiches, finger sandwiches, stuff. <laughs> They'll be looking at you and wondering why your lights are on. <laughs> so there you go. Look, I'll let you go. Have a good evening up there. Well, have the best evening you can, and we'll uh, maybe catch you tonight uh, on Rainbow Bay Connection to hear the uh, status. I'm sure it'll be ripping up there. N2NNN and 4 Charlie 9, Papa Oscar, Quebec, Tom, Tango Oscar Mike, I'm 50 miles north of Chicago in northeast Illinois. Uh, no traffic for the net, just got my ears open today riding along. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, number two, CQDX, CQDX. Here's North America, Kilo Bravo 9, Whiskey Lima, Foxtrot. Everything is closed off, the bus is no, nothing's moving, nothing's going anywhere. And uh, lower part of, uh, lower Manhattan there. Uh, Battery Park, Battery Park, I think that's cold down there. When I saw it, it was up to the, uh, the wall, the sea wall, which was just rising over the sun slightly. And that was like four hours ago. I can just imagine that. It's just up to the getting closer. This entire area is going to be underwater. That whole thing they call Battery Park is going to be under. I feel sorry for anybody up in that area because, boy, it looks like it's a bad one hitting in there. I understand uh, they've already got uh, a lot of snow in North Carolina, Western North Carolina. Oh, yeah, West Virginia, Northern, Northwestern North Carolina, uh, parts of Pennsylvania. Uh, absolutely, uh, going to get hit with uh, a big, 
big bunch of rain or a big bunch of snow. But you know, it's not the kind of stuff that sticks around. But it gets very damaging when it's all, you know, when it's wet. It's wet, that wet, heavy wet stuff. Okay, so you have it. It's, uh, Monday afternoon on a stormy day, 20 meters direct conversion. And uh, I, I kind of like this receiver. Solder smoke mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. All right, let's see. Now it's, uh, now it's Tuesday, the 30th of October. I had to cut recording of the uh, of the podcast short a bit because of Hurricane Sandy which as I mentioned was uh, was impacting yesterday so this gives me the opportunity to tell you guys what happened it uh, it went very well for us we had a <laughs> I guess like we, we had a very good storm um, we had electricity all day yesterday it was blowing and raining all day yesterday but then uh, power went out at about seven o'clock I immediately swung into action and put our put my new uh, inverter system into operation and got lights on the ground floor, even got the TV going. Uh, Billy uh, built a fire, and uh, we were uh, warm and comfortable and the envy of the neighborhood. And I was pleased to be uh, proven once again to be a true electronic wizard and uh, the technological uh, master of the house. So, uh, yeah, it was okay. And then we all slept downstairs. So for those of you who don't uh, live in hurricane-prone areas, the real danger for us is uh, falling trees. So you don't want to be sleeping up on the upper floors of the house in case something comes down. So we had everybody sleeping on the on the ground floor with better protection, and we were all very happy to be awakened at uh, 1:20 a.m. when the power came back on, uh, and uh, that that was a real pleasant surprise because sometimes. You could be three or four days without power, which, as you know, is no fun at all. But uh, anyway, um, no real damage around the house. The uh, utilities are in operation. Uh, one big branch fell down across our uh, Internet cable, but uh, didn't break it. So here we are. And uh, I just hope that everybody uh, everybody else uh, 
uh, among our listeners uh, who was in the path of the storm had it as, as easy as we did. Okay, now, the mailbag. First, guys, let me apologize for uh, the spam that went out from my uh, N2CQR at yahoo.com account. This is a fairly common occurrence, and I think it's my fault because I probably didn't have a sufficiently robust password on that thing. But anyway, the uh, the spammers got a hold of it, and uh, no, I am not involved in any of those sort of back-of-the-magazine uh, businesses that <laughs> that were advertised via my uh, via my email address. I, I I changed the passwords as quickly as possible. This thing happens from time to time. Again, my apologies. I promise to use more robust passwords in the future. All right, incoming mail. A lot of good, a lot of good email. A lot of people sent uh, best wishes and uh, fingers crossed messages for Hurricane Sandy. KD zero uh, GLS. Um, Sent me a very nice message like that, and uh, appreciate that. Uh, Kim, VK5FJ, sent a very interesting piece about uh, AM and test gear. And I know it was repeated on Hackaday and some other uh, uh, websites. A very interesting test gear operation there that uh, Kim reports on. Um, N6NLB, Lane asks if uh, uh, DSB on 20 meters could be used in the JT65 mode. Um, I haven't tried that mode myself, uh, Lane, but I understand Whisper is pretty close, and it works on, works with DSB. You just got to play with the, uh, make sure that your, um, your the appropriate sideband is placed in the appropriate uh, frequency uh, band, and then off you go. And at those low power levels, I can't imagine you bothering everybody, anybody else on the opposite sideband. Um, we got an email from a fellow named Mike. He doesn't have a call sign yet, but it's on the way because he got his license. He was inspired by solder smoke, which stirred up memories of his uh, granddad and his granddad's radios. So we're always pleased when we hear that the podcast causes somebody to get into or back into ham radio. Um, Joss, ON6WJ, um, reported on a very successful 2012 Sputnik party. And Joss, you could just, you know, even across a bit of a language barrier, you could you could detect the... Uh, the excitement and the pleasure in, uh, in Joss's uh, message. And he said that after 60 years in the hobby, uh, doing this with the, uh, the Sputnik rigs made, left him as excited as he was when he was a little boy. So uh, great stuff. And uh, thanks to everybody who was involved in the Sputnik project. Um, uh, Richard uh, sent me an offer, kindly offered a roadkill uh, computer. Thanks very much for that, Richard. We, uh, we are powered by roadkill computers here at Solder Smoke. Uh, David, VE7CQY, sent a very nice video of kites in operation. And, uh, you know, we're big on kites here. i got to build one since we lost the last one. The last one is still displayed, by the way, in, in the, uh, in the uh, soccer field uh, adjacent to my daughter's old school. And every time we pass by, we say, yep, it's still up there. I suspect it'll be up there for a long time. It's made out of garbage bags and and uh, fiberglass fishing poles. Uh, okay, um, Neil K7AQK sent me a, a, a picture. Um, and this thing really was widely circulated on the on the web. I'm sure many of you saw it. A guy made a radio using real components using the the, the London um, tube map, the map of the London underground train system sort of as the schematic, and I thought it was quite clever and, uh, and knackish. 
uh, Andy at KF7AXB uh, sent a message alerting me to the um, the new and exciting businesses that I had entered into via the uh, the spam operators. <laughs> Thanks for that, Andy. But he also said that the the book uh, Solder Smoke uh, Global Adventures in Wireless Tech Electronics uh, helped him understand parts of the theory that he was struggling with. Always glad to hear about that. Stephen uh, G7 VFY has always sent very interesting things, and he. He sent a bunch of interesting uh, emails and uh, links to videos. Really good stuff. Um, let's see. Got an email from our man in Guadalajara, Roberto. Um, and I'll just read you from this. Uh, let's see. Uh, Bill, have not heard from you in a spell. Hope you have not written me off as one of those evil electronic musical socialists from Mexico. <laughs> no. And he says, which I may be indeed. Ha <laughs> ha. He says he doesn't like Steve Jobs either, and uh, he made some comments on the uh, the fellow, the Red Bull parachutist, jumping in from outer space. He says, I'm glad you enjoy uh, Chat with the Designers, and it'd be nice to suggest a possible Chat with the Designers sessions on receivers, on direct conversion receiver builds, to complement the recent Regen episode. Well, you know, I'm all in favor of that, uh, uh, Roberto. And I hope the folks there at the New Jersey QRP Club take you up on the offer. Um, very good. Yeah, I think a, I think a direct conversion receiver thing would be would be fine. Um, let's see. He'd also like some sort of um, some sort of program on uh, surface mount compro- components. On um, and uh, and he says uh, especially for those. Who have uh, kind of vision problems, yeah, and, and he's suggesting some sort of modular uh, surface mount construction using modular components. Uh, and he says he he's found it a bit of a pain. I won't go into more detail. A bit of a pain <laughs> to uh, to deal with these uh, tiny things. Yes, uh, I have felt similar pain, Roberto. Um, let's see. Uh, one nice gift I got in the mail, says Roberto, was a surface mount mixer and a pad that sits on it to piggyback it out to solderable sized terminals. It was pretty nice. He, uh, he heard me made mention of the term DR for the Dominican Republic. Wanted to know if the Dominicans up in New York use that term, and I, I think they would do so, but only, only in English. Roberto, uh, he wishes us well on the rocket launch. Always good to hear from you, Roberto, and, uh, Keep that solder melting there in uh, in Guadalajara. Let's see. Um, got some nice email from uh, from our friend Farhan in India. All kinds of interesting programs in the works, interesting projects in the works out there uh, at his uh, QTH. Uh, Bob Crane, W8SX, our man in Dayton, uh, sent along some interesting links, including one on the joy of tinkering, uh, an article on the joy of tinkering from a guy at uh, RIT. And I, I posted that up on the blog. Got some nice email from uh, Roger, our friend out there in, in Southern California. Oh, no, Northern California. What am I saying? NorCal, yeah. Uh, Roger sent us a, a link to an interesting documentary. Roger, always good to hear from you. Hope all is going well out there. Um, Michael, AA1TJ, is, uh, as we reported last week, uh, coming down from the mountain after years of wait, working up there on that radio transmitter. We hope this uh, means more time in that uh, hobbit hole 
that has produced so many amazing and interesting things for ham radio. I found some pictures of the Hobbit Hole not long ago, some pictures that I thought had been lost, so I'm going to put them up on the uh, on the blog. Let's see what else here we got. I've got some good email here. Uh, oh, we got one, a nice one from Bob, KC4FNE. He, he caught a picture of a video of Capucho when I did the video with the 808 keychain camera. And um, he asks if uh, Capucho might be from the same kennel that produced his golden retriever, Rusty. Uh, Bob, I checked. Nope. Uh, they're, uh, they may be distantly related, but uh, they're not from the same uh, kennel. And he, he liked the, um, the bit on, uh, on Science Fair Lightbeam Communications. Um, Tim Walford, out there in Upton Bridge Farm, Long Sutton, Langport, Somerset, uh, in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, sends us a press release that Amateur Radio in the Country 2013 will be held, held July 21st, 2013. Mark your calendar, guys. Uh, Tim Walford, G3PCJ, is pleased to announce that following the very successful QRP in the Country 2012 this year, Next year's event will be held on Sunday, July 21st. The, the title has been changed to reflect the enlarged range of amateur radio topics that will be on show. The scope well goes beyond the QRP-oriented events of the past. As before, it will be held in Upton Farm in Somerset. The theme remains operation and home construction of relatively simple radio equipment with the added attraction of a country setting. Oh man, wish I could be there. All right, speaking of that part of the world... We got some really nice email um, from a neighboring country, from Ireland. And the first email came in, it was prior to October 4th. October 4th was a, an important day in the history of uh, amateur radio in, in Ireland because it was the day in which uh, the amateur radio license exam was given by the uh, Irish telecommunications authorities. And Chris who had previously been known as EI1628SWL, he was a shortwave listener, uh, wrote to us that he was uh, going to take a shot at the exam, and he asked uh, for help and encouragement. I uh, melted some sacrificial solder here. Um, uh, um, uh, Steve Snort, Roz, and Smith uh, out there on the left coast provided some words of encouragement, and I think everybody else was sort of trying to send uh, good radio vibes uh, towards Ireland. We found out in the process that there was another solder smoke listener, a fellow named Dave, who independently had found out about ham radio through the solder smoke podcast. So we have Chris and Dave, both there in Ireland, both find out about ham radio, get, get interested in it via the solder smoke podcast, and both sign up for the ham radio exam on the on October 4th in Dublin. They didn't know each other, but through... Uh, through the podcast and through the blog, we made them aware of the fact that they would not be alone in that examination room, that there would be other knack victims, other solder smoke enthusiasts there with them. Anyway, um, we waited, we waited, we waited, and both Chris and Dave have uh, passed the test. Dan, uh, Dave sent in a nice message. Delighted to hear you passed, Chris, and pleased to say I did too. I think it was the first, I think I was the first to walk out of the exam room. I didn't want to agonize over answers for too long. I've already soldered a 20 meters rockmite together, and now just needs it now just needs to be placed in an Altoids tin. You're off to a good start, Dave. 
I was intending to send in for the call sign this week, but he's waiting to see if he could take the Morse, the Morse test. And apparently, with the Morse, if you pass the Morse test, you get a two-letter suffix. Go for it, Dave. Uh, he's um, he says thanks to Steve Smith, for, Steve Smith, for the nice words, and thanks to you, Bill, for inspiring me to sit the exam through your through your book, blog, and of course the podcast. EI Land is going to be filled with the aroma of a lot more solder smoke. Fine business. Dave, very good. And finally, last but by no means the least, we got a, a an email from our good friend uh, uh, Jim A L Seven R V. Jim has been a loyal listener for a long time, a good friend, a guy who sent me a lot of good stuff. I mentioned earlier that he that he he was probably one of two guys who possibly saved my uh, made for the mighty midget receiver. And it says, uh, uh, Jim reports, I've got my bench here at our new old home up and running, enough to start making some solder smoke. The first project was the G3 URR crystal test oscillator, built Manhattan style, but with my propensity for packaging, it ended up in a nice die ca- a nice cast metal box. Now the task of sorting a big bunch of crystals for a couple of SSB filters. Fine business there, Jim. Now here's, here's where Jim provides a reminder of, of some really important radio ham radio lore a tradition um, a, a kind of a belief kind of the uh, kind of some antenna zeitgeist here we go with winter coming fast and the threat of an early snow here in northern michigan michigan my focus has turned to antenna work <laughs> i'm told by the locals that i should wait as it's common knowledge that the best performing antennas are those that were put up in blinding snow and ice storms at great personal risk. <laughs> Very good, Jim. Keep that in mind, fellas. Will you get those blizzard conditions before you go out there and put up those wires in the trees, or uh, or those aluminum stuff, or the or the aluminum up there? Yeah, you got to have some really hazardous conditions to make sure that those antennas work properly. Okay, guys, that's it for now. Seven three from Northern Virginia. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!